pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Draft Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Kagi, and tonight we're going to pick a pass pick apart Bledisloe 2. We're going to answer some listener questions. And if you haven't already, uh, please give us a like and subscribe. Um, you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, or if you want to see our bad heads, uh, Harry particularly spends a lot of time getting dressed up in his new kit for our videos on YouTube. Um, you, you'll find us on YouTube. So speaking of him, uh, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Harry and Nelson. How are we tonight, gentlemen? Good, mate, and it's uh, good that all the listeners now know that we only ever do one take as well from that introduction. Well done. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, no, it is. just it's Basically, it's the proofs in the pudding type of thing. So, um, yes. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing well as well, Craig. probably better than you because it sounds like you're on a tough day, mate, struggling with these words. <sighs> Reading is difficult. That's it after a long day of work. Um, very good. Look, some other people that had a tough day, uh, the Wallabies. Um, what do we think of that? Uh, honestly, um, it was encouraging. There was that period just after halftime when the game got away from us. I think I literally walked out of the room and walked back and went from mm. thinking we're about to win to thinking all hope was lost. But it was encouraging signs and uh, it was always going to be a huge ask at Eden Park. So, you know, we'll get into it in more detail, but not the worst. Yeah, I think don't lose track of where we are. You know, second game with this group together with the new coach. We've left New Zealand you know, one draw, one loss. That's, that's for us, that's equivalent in terms of the Bledisloe as one win, one loss. Right? We're in the same position. We need to win the next two. You'll never be able to put out the, uh, the light that is the optimism of the three of us on this podcast. Uh, nothing will take that from us, but uh, no, very good. Look, Eden Park, All Black Rugby, the streak continues, 44 matches in a row for the All Blacks at Eden Park. Um, they were just too good at the night on the night, really. Um, you know, there was lots of talk about the physicality in game one, um, and they certainly came out firing. Um, I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't say they certainly outmuscled us, but they certainly matched up, um, and they and they ran away with that one. Um, what did uh, what did you guys think regarding that? Yeah, look, I think the, the game one, our, our structures to me looked a little bit better. We had a bit more variance in terms of our attack. Um, and New Zealand really just tried to beat us with individual brilliance. This this week, I think we fell for that a little bit, losing tomorrow, which we'll touch on. You know, we, we just lost a bit of that variety and, and got brought into that sort of one-on-one individual brilliant stuff, and we were never going to beat New Zealand like that. Yeah, and I, and I think we uh, we probably need to temper the the media on after game one and after game two. <laughs> they, they seem to be on the extremes every single week. You know, it can't be forgotten that uh, the Wallabies haven't won at Eden Park since 1986. And even during the golden era, the era of the 90s and early noughties, the Wallabies couldn't get a win over there. So it was always going to be a big ask. That's it. Look, um, I mean, <clears throat> we'll need to somehow, like, just channel an earthquake uh, like Christchurch towards uh, Auckland to um, just get rid of the stadium. I think that's the only way we can really break the hurry, but um, that, we're, may, we're not horrible. that may be a little insensitive, um, but look, I mean, we've got to do what we need to do to get a win. So um, we'll, we'll um, leave you to that on your own uh, <laughs> with yourself, mate. We're not going to join you there, but moving into the uh, injuries, we had the return of Bowden Barrett after his Achilles injury, filling that sort of second playmaker role. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. Geordie Barrett, he returned from his hip flexor. 
um, got probably a little bit longer than we expected and without that sort of combination you would have expected as well in the centres. Scotty Barrett as well, he came in onto the bench after missing three and a half, or three months, sorry, roughly of, of, uh, of rugby with his toe surgery. Yeah, it must have, been, must have been tempting for them to put him straight into the starting side with Tupabai, uh starting his first test as such an inexperienced player. But, you know, they held their own and uh, it was good to see Scott Barrett back out there, even though he was on a team doing over the Wallabies. Yeah, exactly. In terms of uh, new injuries, there, there was a few there, Craig. Do you want to touch on those? Yeah, sure. Matty Tamua, um, and we'll go into that as a key moment in the game. So, groin injury. Um, it looked, I think both of you, uh, everyone I was watching with said during the game when he did it, it, it looked like um, a repeat injury and it looked, you know, it didn't look very good. Um, news now is he's gone for the season. So, uh, going to need some, um, it's going to be a tall order for, and a bit of a, Shuffle up for the Wallabies back line to replace him. Uh, Rico Iwani pulled pre-game, tweaked his hamstring. Um, I think, look, Rico Iwani, I've always said, is one of the world's best wingers and um, one of my favourite players. But uh, after this week, a young gentleman named Caleb Clark uh, may have um, piqued my interest. Uh, he, may, he was you know, a little good um, in his day, but... Uh, other injuries, Peter Umunga Jensen, a concussion. So he got on the field um, for his debut. And Joe Moody... Uh, also a concussion from just being a general grub. <laughs> nice. Um, that, that, that grubbiness can, can make you a bit groggy, I think. That's just too much grubbiness on the field. I agree. Look, Caleb Clark probably ran into him as well at some point. A bit of a friendly fly. I mean, Caleb Clark was running into everyone. So, um, you know, it's just... I think, he, yeah, on his way back to get back to run over more Aussies, he must have run over a few Kiwis. So that's probably what it was. Yeah, absolutely. That's- Probably our only hope, really, regarding him. But um, I don't know. Actually, speaking of it, have you guys ever seen... This was a young All Blacks debut. Have you ever seen someone leave the field to a standing ovation? It looked like he was a centurion leaving the field or someone leaving the field for the last time. It was unbelievable. But I think everyone in Eden Park, no matter how much you, you like rugby, how much... You, if you're a Kiwi, Aussie, whatever it is, probably Kiwi, let's be honest... You knew that that was a pretty special, you know, starting debut, a pretty special match. Um, his individual brilliance was a humongous part of their win for, for me. How he can be that fast, weighing 160 kilograms of muscle, <laughs> I don't understand. Are you just talking about his left leg? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Far out. All right, well, Harry, would you want to start ripping to the game? Um, how about yeah. some possession in territory? Yeah, so obviously it was pretty heavily weighted in game one, Bledisloe won towards the Wallabies, and that changed completely. I was, and, and this one really, really confused me because the Wallabies' set piece was much worse in terms of actually winning their own ball last week than this week. And, uh, and we didn't turn over, I don't, I don't think as much ball. I know there was a lot of turnovers, but there were not as much ball either. So I'm not really sure how it was that the, the All Blacks managed to get so much more possession. But, you know, obviously... For the Wallabies, our plan was don't let them attack us because they're all insanely skilled and fast and fit. And uh, we weren't able to do that anywhere near as well this time around. Hmm. Um, big moments of the game. You know, I mentioned those two quick tries for the All Blacks in that yeah. second half. But um, the Wallabies had their chances as well to get back into it. Yeah, I think the, the two big ones there for, for the Wallabies was Richie Moe, his try saver on Corabidi. Uh, less of a try saver and more of a try bombing for me. I reckon Korobiti should have scored that every day of the week. He, he was the dominant one there. Um, Moanga was in his back foot. 
It's simply I, that he uh, he decided he only wanted to run over him and then kind of landed on him and had another defender swoop in. I think after the success last week and also, uh, you know, Corabita being a big fast winger against the 10, it's, it's very easy to fall into that trap. And you'd have to say probably nine out of 10 times he still scores that try. Um, but yeah, he definitely needed to head down a little lower and just kind of slide in over the, the ground. That was certainly a pivotal point. Yeah, I think following that as well, um, Brendan Bainga, the most, they got a little bit of white line fever. They actually had a pretty good, I think it was off a line out, a pretty good drive. Um, it kind of splintered and he went to ground uh, and then he propelled himself forward to, to reach over that line when he really didn't need to. He was definitely short. He, he was, was definitely short and he definitely did not need to. I've heard people say that, you know, there was no one on him. He was definitely tackled. He was definitely on the ground. It, it was, realistically, it was just really immature. I and mean, It's a bit sad to see. But um, for me, that was the one thing we probably can take away from him this week. Speaking of BPA, though, yeah. I actually thought he was, he was pretty good. I was a bit surprised that they selected mm-hmm. him to shore up the set piece when I would say he probably had the worst line-out throwing percentage in Super Rugby AU. But um, scrum and line-out much better this week. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Craig, do you want to touch on those? Yeah, certainly. Look, I think the scrums, uh, like I said last week, I wasn't too sure where they went wrong. The Tupo, uh, absolute behemoth against Moody. But um, look, when in doubt, put, put your, uh, the hooker that packs down with him every week in there. Um, and BPA is no slouch in the scrums. He's a, he's, I think he's a little bit heavier than Falau, um, and certainly scrumming is, is his real strength, I think. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they certainly, I think they shored up the scrum a bit, but the lineouts, um, whilst the throwing was better, um, just, I think that, I mean, they only, I think, sorry, the lineouts were definitely better as a whole. I think they only lost one. Um, yeah, the, the interesting thing on that, yeah, they, they won 11 of 12 lineouts, but. While they secured more ball in their lineouts, their efficiency rate um, actually attacking off of them was down. So, I mean, did they really improve if, you know, yes, they're winning more ball, but they actually lost off an attacking play off a lineout, they lost the ball 76% of the time. So they focused so much on getting that ball, um, but there just wasn't that uh, attacking base off it. It wasn't a good attacking structure to attack from, uh, a good base for them to attack from. And yes, we probably can throw, you know, the loss of Tamura and things into that. But overall, yes, it was good to see us winning our own ball more, but we just didn't seem to use it as well. And it, I think it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of clean ball as well. You know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't your perfect throw down from exactly. the lineouts. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on, uh, you know, the bringing in of uh, Teddy Flanagan for all those lineouts he was going to take. Uh, I don't think he took any. If he, like, he took maybe one or two. Um, it just, uh, but... Um, it was the clean ball. They just they weren't getting it out fast, which is you know step one, win the line out. Step two, we need fast ball. We need to get it out quickly. So um, it's a work in progress. I can't believe that's what you said about Ted Funnick. Ned Hannigan, he deserves his name this week, Matt. Yeah. I thought he had an absolute blinder. I mean, anyone that listened to our podcast last week knows that we uh, we didn't have high hopes for bringing him in, but that line break. He made a couple of line breaks, didn't he? The first one set up a try as well. He was really impressive. Uh, a couple of turnovers as well. Just gave away a few penalties. But all in all, I thought it was a really good positive uh, impact on the team. And they uh, they shored up their defensive line out a little bit as well. And just quickly before you jump in, Nels, I, I feel like we can't forget that Sam Whitelock, arguably the best defensive line out player in the world, wasn't on the field as well. So maybe that makes it look a little bit better than just the Ted Hannigan effect. Yeah, I can't even know his name anymore. Ted Hannigan, Ned Flanagan. Look, I, I think Ned's, um, Ted Ned has, he's copped a fair bit for those couple of the penalties. I, I think 
he surpassed anything that I expected of him. And, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt coming into this, you know, off Rennie's recommendation, which we should always do. He's proved again. Um, but look, I, I think he did have a pretty instrumental game for the Wallabies there. He was very confused when he was in space, but he still didn't, you know, didn't mess it up. That first break he, he made, popping that ball to Hooper, he did give it a little bit early, but he went straight over the top to secure the ball where a lot of other people, you know, they'd make that pass and then they're all focusing about getting the ball back, not helping secure it. So uh, he made some good decisions. I know. Whoever thought we'd talk about uh, Ted Hannigan for this long on the podcast, but even even I, the most stubborn of um, of us, can can admit he played the best game of his career as far as I'm concerned. Um, hmm. one, one of my favourite tweets from the game, though, was still um, the rugby record card coming in and saying, it's, um, it's Simmons to Hannigan. Uh, and if you ever hear those words, it never bodes well. So I think... Um, Look, once we're done with both of them, um, I still would have preferred to have someone else on the field. But uh, certainly, look, all credit to him, play the game of his life. Uh, and maybe that's what you can do when, you, when you're representing your country. You can really step up. Yeah, I think um, the, the last Aussie player that I really want to mention is Harry Wilson. I'm sure most people have seen the article now that he spent 36 hours in the hospital with an infection in his foot. It was twice the size that it should be. So, which means it's, I was going to say, four times the size of a normal human. <laughs> exactly right. So he was bed down for that 36 hours. But still, I thought he was really impressive. And the biggest thing to me was the physicality he brings to the game. You know, last week he clearly targeted Richie Moe. This week he had obviously lined up Bowden Barrett and made sure he got a few good shots on him. Credit to Bowden. He, um, he shakes him off pretty well. But uh, really, really impressed by him again. And um, I, I think the harsh thing is um, one of the Kiwi um, journos coming out and saying, Australian rugby doesn't do hard men, yet then have a whinge that he smashed a few of their players slightly late, which is typical of the back rower, and that some of their players, you know, were at risk of not playing this week because of those hits. I, I just find it such a stupid thing to say. Look, I'll go into that in a second, but I think Harry Wilson, I've got to go on the record to say, uh, I was saying this all week, he is, if not already... Uh, will very soon sh- surpass Taniela Tupo as my favourite player. Harry Wilson is unbelievable. Um, and I, believe that. I, I just love, as you guys said, the energy, the way he plays the game. But also, he goes in there and he's like, I'm the best player on the field. I don't care who's on this field. I'm the best player. Yeah. And uh, I, I always go back to in, in his under-20s. We were saying last week, we just need to get the whole Aussie under-20s team in because they beat, beat New Zealand every game. But he, he just walking through the Kiwi Packs... Um, you know, like they'd win a scrum and he just walked through all the forwards and just oh. like give them all a shake on their head, you know, just put their face down in the dirt. You talked about that hit on Bowden Barrett. He clearly uh, put Bowden in his sights this week, hit him two, uh, I think twice, you know, um, pretty solidly and pushed it, one of them pushed his head down and just went, yeah, mate, it's coming all day. I <laughs> love him. Was Richie McCaw, he'd never be out of play in New Zealand again, though. That's a funny yeah. thing. No, I, I, I absolutely love that hard man sort of tactics. And mm. as a back rower, hitting that 10, hitting a playmaker, letting them know you're there. Oh. Keep doing it until you get penalised. Do it early in the Absolutely. game. Be physical and, and let them know it's coming. And if you don't get penalised, just keep doing it. I love it. <laughs> well, look, last week we said he rattled, they, they rattled, um, they rattled Richie Moanga. Um, it's a bit harder to rattle Bowden Barrett, but um, yeah. look, that was great. But getting back to your point on uh, no hard men in the Wallabies, Look, they pointed to a particular moment in the game saying it was the pivotal moment where Taniela Tupo absolutely leveled Dane Coles and then stood over him just like, yeah, it's coming all day, son, sit down, old man. 
Uh, and uh, Colsey got up, took exception to that, the big grub, and um, you know gave him a push, a bit of push and shove, a few handbags. And they were saying somehow that New Zealand won that altercation, like yeah. they got under our skin. I was like, what are you, what, what are you watching, mate? Absolute rubbish. Yeah, I think retrospectively they've tweaked. They tweaked what actually happened there once they got the dominance later in the game. And we, we talked about a few big players, physicality, rucks, that kind of thing as well. How about Adi Sevilla's clean out that came up on Twitter a couple of days after the game, mm. flying in from the side on Michael Hooper and almost snapping oh, him in half. That was ALB, I think. That's Anton Leonard Brown, that, that one. Oh, but, that, that was ALB. Look, for me, that, mm. that's not just a penalty. That, that's a pretty serious one. He needs to have a warning with that because that, that is a huge risk for a player's knee and a, and a serious knee injury coming in like that. And yeah. that's, that's one of the main reasons you don't have side entries at things like that. Someone's going for a pilfer. You're coming in from the lateral side, the outside of their knee. You know, you're risking serious injury. Compared to a, a rough, as compared to a, a full breakdown with lots of people in there and you're coming in the side, there's not a huge risk of injury. In that specific instance, I think mm. it is very, very dangerous. Now, look, before we move on, um, I just want to say, we touched on Artie Severe as well. Look, he had a great game. But I, I think my last pivotal moment um, of this game was probably early on, about the first 10 minutes. So I think it's easy to forget now at the end result and after that second half that in the first 10 minutes, the Wallabies came out absolutely firing. They did have more of the ball. They were on. The attack was fast. They were really pushing it. And they got they were, they were camped down in the, uh, the All Blacks 22, um, had a, a one or two good shots at the line. And one of them, maybe eight minutes in, um, they're about five metres out from the All Blacks line. Artie Sevilla makes a... Uh, turnover, gets a penalty, re- relieves all the pressure that's just built up in the 10 minutes and gets them out of there. Look, for mine, again, he, 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 he was a tackler and then he never went back uh, around the gate and came in. It was clear as they threw the side um, and just got away with it. Um, for me, it's like, I don't know, obviously we're wearing the green and gold glasses, but the Wallabies just are not able to convert at those crucial times. It happened last week and this week, we just missed. We talked about Corabidi not scoring his try, but for mine was the first 10 minutes. If we can get those some points on the board in those first 10, it's a whole different game. It really is. Um, yeah. so it I think allows you to keep momentum. We've got to take those points when they're on off. And we, we seem to forget that this week. And the game, game got a bit too far away from us because we didn't keep it ticking over. I, mm. I found it really interesting talking about the Wallabies attack early on. Number one, they play huge phase counts under Dave Rennie immediately. Like, Face counts that I don't mm. think the Michael Checker era of Wallabies could ever dream of playing. Mm. Um, but their ability to attack and stress different parts of the All Blacks defence was really, really impressive. In one phase of play, I remember seeing them go open twice, back to the short side. Then they hit a, uh, a looping fly half around the back. Then they hit a short ball. Then they hit a three-man forward pod into the front line. Like, the variation in attack was awesome and it just it just shows there's so much potential in the ability of this Wallabies team to keep developing and the shapes that they're working on are really layered and, and really complex and because of that, I think it, um, it's going to only develop game to game. There's no way you can nail that kind of complex attacking play within the first two games mm-hmm. playing together. For me as well, I think it's going to be interesting with Tamua's injury, who fills that role because that dual playmaker role for the Wallabies, I think, was massive. Um, Bowden Barrett coming back in for, for the Kiwis had that you know dual playmaker role, but they they're done very very differently. For Australia, it's you know it's hitting O'Connor, it's going one way, and he's not necessarily prepared to go back the other way. He's still on that that open side, and you've got Tamua on the other way, and he, he's receiving that that first ball. So it's giving them that creativity as well. He's he's another kicker, um, which he used a lot to to add to that variance with with Bowden. 
he's given a ride and a license from 15 to inject himself when he wants. He's not sitting there as slotting in as that first receiver as a repetitive thing. It's when he sees something, he, he can slot himself in. So it's really different how they're, they're doing that dual playmaker role. But it'll be interesting to, to, to see who Rennie picks to, to fill that void with Tamua. Do we see Lalesio come in or do we see Simone? Yeah. Well, look, while we're on it, what are, we, what, what are our thoughts for that? Um, we might as well tease it out now. Um, I, I personally think Simone should come in. Um, I think he just fits that. For me, he's the best of both worlds. He's a big ball runner, but he, he's shown... The, the two things are crucial, I think. He's shown he's got some ball playing skills, yeah. but his kicking is immense. He's got a big boot, great kicking game. And I think that's... That, I, for me, it speaks for itself. I think he fills that role more of what they're, they're playing like at the moment. You know, he he's, can, can harden and straighten that line, but he can also kick, as you said. Um, he, he's more of that style player as a, a bit of a, you know, a, a physical body in defence as well. Whereas if we're slotting O'Connor out to 12 and bringing Lalesio into 10, I do feel you're going to lose that, you know, defensive, I suppose, aggression leading from that that 12 um, there. What do you think, I? I think it's got to be got to be one of those two. Uh, Thanks. I I think the main thing that I'm thinking of is what happens to Hunter Paisami and what does that mean for how they're going to sleep the rest of the team. Surely we're all expecting Pattaya with his attacking flair to come into number thirteen, which means Paisami probably won't play twelve, so he's out of the side. Yeah. Um, Reese Hodge still is the obvious bit on the bench, so then you've got to have essentially a specialist twelve or ten. Um, my expectation is Simone with his big boot because they said they want a kicking centre. But um, equally, if, if uh, James O'Connor is going to be kicking for goal, you never know. They could play Noel Alessio with his kicking game as well and his, his ability to play 10 and 12. So, I don't know. I, it could go either way. The fact that Noel Alessio has been on the bench already as well for mm. me is maybe a little bit more of a string to his bow. You know, he's obviously closer to getting minutes as it was. But uh, Simone behind Pattaya, mm. behind Paisami it's going to be a big call to shift him straight to the number 12 jersey. Yeah. Yeah, I think particularly if, if you're blooding someone with a starting debut, I think the best thing about Simone as well is that um, when in doubt, he can just truck it up. You know what I mean? He can just make a... T- a t- I mean, like he did for the Brumbies all season. Took all of Tamita Kurandrani's hit up, <laughs> hit up balls. Um, so I think that's just a kind of safer approach, really. But um, yeah, no, very good. Uh, Bodine, we're going to talk about the re- return of him. Yeah, look, I, I think it was interesting to see how he can he can inject himself into the game, as we were sort of saying. It's a very different dual playmaker role for them. But, I mean, he, he's someone that we, we say if he's on the field, no matter if he's 10 or he's 15, he's always going to be able to do those one or two things that no one else is going to be able to do. When he's 10, it's just that he gets less chances to be 10 when he's playing with a 15 on his back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I think we, we've said it many times. We all agree he should be starting 10 for the, uh, the All Blacks. Or, do we all agree? We all agree. I think we all agree. Okay. Uh, having said that, though, how about a couple of times watching Richie Mo just step off both feet? Your Wallabies had a set line of defence, and he just goes off the right, off the left, off the right, and somehow creates space, and then gets an arm free and throws an offload. Like, not, we can't take away from Richie Mo's brilliance in attack. It is, it is unbelievable. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, the easiest way to, to look at Richie's game this week was last week. He was, uh, as we said, absolutely rattled. They took away time and space. And he just couldn't play his natural game. It meant he was passing the ball earlier and he wasn't looking to carry until about the last 10 minutes when the game's... Or that, that last eight minutes, really, of, of, over time. This week, uh, as the Wallabies fell off pretty early into the second half, 
Richie just grew, you know, more and more into that game and just started opening it up way more. So for mine, if they are going to keep continue on with Richie, which it seems like Foster is going to be stubborn and persist with this uh, Moanga um, Bowden, you know, Mobane game, Mo, game plan. Um, Moanga? No, Modine sounds great. Yeah, I don't like. I, I like Modine. It's good. Um, it, yeah, it looks like Foster is going to persist, but um, if if they do. The key for us is to uh, really get into his face and don't let him grow into that game because uh, once he gets a little bit confidence about him, uh, very difficult man to handle. Yeah, look, I think um, Moonga had a much better game this week. Um, the All Blacks just had such quick ball getting it to him. They just consistently got over the advantage line again and again. And I think that was a big part of that defensive, you know, those defensive issues for the Wallabies. It wasn't necessarily always just one-on-one. It was... You know, they're scrambling defensive line because they're having to, you know, shift back constantly, being on the, the, the wrong foot, losing that, you know, defensive leader with Samoa. And I think Moana kept that moving forward and kept that creativity, you know, picking and choosing when to run it himself, picking and choosing when to, to make those passes. So I think he was really, really influential this week, much more so than last week. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I can understand them wanting to persist with both. Hmm. Just not what I'd be doing. No. Mo- moving on to defence, I think uh, it's a wonder how we managed to wait this long to talk about the Wallabies 42 missed tackles. Defence? So the All Blacks tackled at 83%, which is not crash hot for a test team, to be honest with you. I think they missed 24 of their 144. The Wallabies tackled at 67% for the game. They missed one in every three tackles. I can't remember the last time a test team, a tier one test team, missed that many tackles. Nelson's just... club team probably had a higher percentage uh, over this season. No, we definitely did. <laughs> but the, the crazy thing was, you know, 12 of them were on Caleb Clark. So we'll come back to that. But, you know, I, I watched the, the rugby, the tight five with Morgs uh, analysing this stat a little bit. And he was saying... The biggest reason for it, he thought, was not one-on-one tackling, but it was a lot of the time was because the All Blacks were getting these half breaks and getting over the ad line, and the Wallabies were just maybe not getting their shape quite right. And because of that, they were short in defence and they were making tackles where they were trying to cover or getting steps. But, I mean, there's to me, there's still no excuse. <laughs> 42 tackles. If it was 20, yeah, I get it. But it's just insane. What I put it down to was... Um... The physicality. So trying to win that physicality battle. Uh, as kind of the All Blacks started playing better and better, what the Wallabies decided to do was just go for shots. So when, when you go for shots, you're going high, uh, you tend to miss a lot more tackles. And that's... Who, who in their right mind tries to go high to knock over Caleb Clark? I, I don't know. Um, but about t- at least 12 of them did. Um, so no, it's just around the ankles, boys. Um, I, I get what they were trying to do. And generally, I would like that, you know, put some shots on, but um, it's not in a test yeah. test game, uh, you know what I mean? There's... You know, we, we've, we've just got to have that ability, I think, to, to slow their ball down. And, you know, moving on to the rucks, I think our, our attack was really, really solid this week compared to previous weeks. We're actually 96% um, success rate compared to the Kiwis, 94%. But the Kiwis still have an ability to slow our ruck down and slow that ball down a little bit for us. Whereas, you know, they were getting such quick ball, um, you know, that when they were winning, I, I think, you know, it was it was cleaner ball for them very often. Whereas 
they, they just did enough to slow our ball down, even though we were a lot more solid in the breakdown this week. Um, but yeah, I think that, that's a, a telling thing for me. And the turnovers were 10-6 favoring the All Blacks, but how many of those turnovers were Wallabies attacking the five-metre line from the Kiwis? And I mean, we've known forever that the All Blacks tactic, every New Zealand franchise tactic, is when they're on their own line, they will give away penalties, they'll give away yellow cards, they don't care. They're not giving you seven points. And for some reason, despite I think a lot of these attempted turnovers or successful turnovers being completely illegal, they're just never getting pinned. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you can understand them going for it and not getting penalized, so continuing to go for it. Like, that's smart, simple footy. But there was three or four, legitimately three or four definite penalties last week. And this week, again, there was at least two or three that I thought were quite clear. Um, where there's no release or off the feed or whatever it might be. And, and they haven't been penalised once for any of those. So they're just going to keep on doing it. You'd be dumb not to. Absolutely. I think, um, so look, uh, as you've said, the Wallabies won the percentages in the rucks, but uh, the Kiwis really won the rucks just by getting past the ball and slowing ours down. I, one thing I just wanted to say before I forget, um, I'm sure we will talk about how good Nick White uh, was again. But um, one of those breakdowns, uh, the, the All Blacks counter-ruck huge, you know, four or five of them piled through. They were clearly winning the ball. Aaron Smith's just about to get in there and pick it up. And Nick White somehow just kind of like dived into the middle of it, went under them, like crawled in, picks up the ball and, and came out of, of it by, on his own. Um, unbelievable. Like just, you know, how many halfbacks do you see these days actually go in there and, and get the ball? Um, I feel like very few, but um, he, he was unreal, Nick White. It's funny you mention him. I, I actually didn't think he had quite as good a game. He said himself in the lead-up to the test that he thought the All Blacks would make sure they didn't give him the same space they did in Bledisloe 1. I mean, looking at his stats, he still broke five tackles, threw three offloads, made a line break, assisted a trial. He, he did very, very well. And, and to be honest, those stats are a lot better than I thought they were. But the mm. biggest thing for me was mm. the fact that they completely put the contestable box kick away. Yeah. Disappeared. They, they were so successful with it in Wellington. And yeah, I, I guess we can understand that there's a change in personnel. Two of their back three have changed in the all-black side. There's not the same wind. But surely one of the most obvious places to attack were putting the ball up high to Caleb Clark's wind where you can contest for the ball. And I think there may have been one contestable kick in the entire game. Like it was yeah. 0.43% of the Wallabies possession. It was just non-existent. I mean, we, we were chatting about it previous to the game, you know, Caleb Clark, he's not a slow man, but you, you either put it in behind him. He's not a, you know, someone with an amazing vertical leap like some of these other wingers. If you Because he weighs 160 kilos. Yeah. If you're kicking it anywhere near him, you have to be there contesting the ball or you're putting it in behind him to turn around. So as you said, it's maybe one contestable kick there, but also in terms of putting it in behind him and, and looking to, to get into that corner, mm. from our own half, we only once put a kick in into their 22 and got that ball out. We only attempted that once, which is absolutely absurd. New Zealand then won the line out, kicked it back out, and they didn't exit their 50. So all of a sudden, we were in our own half. If we took six phases to get to that point, didn't have that much creativity, went to the kick and made a lot of ground and got into their half with an attacking line out. Why didn't we do it earlier? And you know what? It wasn't white. We had to wait till Gordon came on. So in 66 minutes of rugby... He didn't do that. When one of the best things about his game last week was a variance in kick and, and just mixing it up. 
I, I think they they certainly came on with a message to, to put it away, I guess. And then at the end of the game, Jake White came on with a message to do so. Um, I think a large part of it was perhaps, I think two things. One is last week, the conditions. So not just the wind in Wellington, which was crazy, but also the rain um, that made it a lot harder. But uh, also perhaps Rennie just wanting to um, change it up. You know, I know it's only been two games, but you don't want to just roll out what works well, last week necessarily. I don't know for me something that worked really, really well for you and they've now got a winger who will be less good at diffusing that if that's the thing I would be changing. I, I think what, I, what they were worried about is just Bowden Barrett. The man's everywhere. He's the world's best player. If you're kicking, he'll just come from anywhere and get it. Um, but that, but and it I will, doesn't matter. If it's a contestable kick, you can let him jump over someone and then hit him as he's coming down. Like... I, I don't think that matters at all. The problem is the James O'Connor kick, which they did in game one. They did it again in game two. They punt it downfield. Caleb Clark picks up the ball with no one around. They score a try off it. He broke five tackles in the one play. Like, you that can't makes... tell me that that's smart rugby. Look, look, no, 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 look, definitely not. I'm just saying I, I can understand. Well, sorry. I, I certainly don't support them putting it away because uh, it did work so well last week. But... I guess I'm trying to say there were reasons for it. And also, as, as part of the Caleb Clark fan club, the growing club, um, I have to say, actually, I think you'd be surprised by his vertical leap, um, not just because he was a sevens play, but there was one instance in this game, Richie Moanga's running around the corner, about to go out, just throws a basketball mm. pass back inside. I don't know if you remember, throws it up high. And Caleb Clark jumps way higher than I thought he looks capable of jumping yeah. to, to get that. He's 170 kilos, mate. He can't jump. <laughs> he jumps. He, he's not a, you know... Israel. Seven foot tall, 170 kilos. He's not, he's not an Israel Folau leaper and for a contestable ball. He just isn't, and there's no way he is. If you're kicking it high and Broden Barrett is having to come into that line, he now does not have the space to, to go. So I would rather us kick the ball 30 metres and it be contestable than kick it 60 metres and Broden Barrett runs it 30 before we get to him and then he has space in front of him. Or you kick it directly to Caleb Clark and we have no one within 20 metres of him, and he can just toy with the thing. I couldn't agree more. I, I think certainly a part of the, the kicking game, all, apart from the box kick, um, with Tamua going off, it just really unsettled us. I mean, O'Connor, O'Connor just exactly, he was like, I'm just going to put it down yeah. the other end because I don't know what else to do, kind of, is how it felt. Talking about the kicking tactics, though, like you only need to look to the World Cup to show how <clears> successful <throat> it was, those contestable kicks for the Sappers as they obviously won it. And uh, I, I love that Squid Bugby uh, review of the World Cup where they talk, where he talks about this shift in tactics for international sides, mm. doing mm. exactly what Nelson said, making sure you're contesting for 30 metres rather than giving up possession <clears> for 40. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And especially when your line out, your attacking line out sucks, especially when your defensive line out's not that good, especially when New Zealand's counter-attack is probably their strongest asset. To me, makes no sense whatsoever. Yep. Yeah, I very much look forward to at Squidge Rugby's video this week, breaking down the game. Of course, he was on our podcast. Uh, it was fantastic to chat with him. But um, now, look, I think, why don't we get into, we've touched on it a, a little bit throughout, but um, some of the the good and the bad players. So I, I just want to wrap up again before I forget with Nick White. Um, you know, obviously he didn't play as well as his first game, but he, when TJ Perinara came on, man, did he serve it up to Nick White. Um, he got in his face immediately with the chat. Um, a good tackle. I think he uh, even bumped him off. Um, 
and then uh, ran, running down the sideline, just completely fended him away. Like, he just blew him away, TJ. Made a point of it, I think, after uh, they got in each other's faces. It was, it was insane. Yeah, look, I, I think um, I think the Aussie halfbacks have been doing decent. I, I still want to see Tatum and German in there. I think we'll have a bit of chat a little bit later about it. But mm. the people that I think disappointed me this week was Corabetti. Uh, I think he still had some decent attacking stats. But it seemed like whenever he had this space, wherever he had, you know, a gap in front of him, he was just dropping the ball cold. He was looking at what was in front of him. You know? he, wasn't look, he wasn't focusing on getting the ball and then deciding what to do. He was already, you know, a step ahead. And it seemed to creep into his game. And as soon as it was in his game, it got worse and got worse and got worse. Yeah, I think we're talking about five cold drop balls throughout this game. Um, something like that. And, yeah, bad day, that's for sure. and, and look, we all have bad days, but um, yeah, he certainly... Put it this way, if he was an NFL player, I don't think he's ever getting a game again. You know, they're that, that big on drop balls and turning the ball over. You know, like, I love him to bits in, in terms of his gameplay, and there's no way I'm calling for that. But it was atrocious with that sort of thing. And he, and he just, that, that try, I think he should have got that. He'd get that most days a week. I, I think on the, the flip side, Shannon Frizzell was summoned for me with, you know, really, really good form in um, Super Rugby. I just don't think he was up to his standards. Um, he, he was a bit, you know, anonymous around the field. We didn't see a lot of him. I don't really recollect seeing him do anything, to be honest. And he's such a brilliant player. So I don't know what it is. But for me, I, yeah, I just I, I thought he was he was missing. He's had a funny time he... with Shannon Frizzell. You know, he goes through periods where he plays a number of games in a row without actually showing his face. And then all of a sudden, he was unbelievable in Super Rugby outside of So, I mean, if he's a little bit off, he's ineffective. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do about him. I feel like the All Blacks have got a real problem trying to get the best out of him. Yeah, and it's tough with uh, Hoskins and Tutu and Akira just sitting in the wings. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Do you reckon, is it one of those things where mm-hmm. he's just doing all the... He's like Scott Fardy-esque, just kind of doing all the clean-outs... Uh, no. I, don't think that's I don't know because I just don't notice. He's a runner. Yeah, he, I don't he's think that's his game plan. He's a physical, damaging runner. I'm not seeing him belt people yeah. like we're seeing from Harry Wilson. Mm. I'm not seeing him run over people like we see from Hodgman. Yeah. He's not performing but his role that we if, know he's so incredible at. Like that, run. we'll never forget that run where he uh, literally ran through the entire Crusaders forward pack yeah. to score a try. <laughs> I mean, Super Rugby outdoor it's, it's Simple enough for Frizzell. Is if he has a good game, you see him. Hmm. You know, it's not like some of the other all backs. You actually, or the, the back rows, you have to see him and notice him. That's the way he plays footy. Yeah. Now, look, I think we've basically already covered uh, most of the players that we thought were really good. Is there anyone else that um, stands out for you guys? Or, I mean, the next thing we were going to talk about was the ref. Uh, and I said, um, you know, we were just doing a few notes before the game. I came to write about the ref and I thought, I didn't really have any strong opinions one way or the other. We, we've talked a little bit about the, the breakdown um, being refereed, but uh, I don't know if it's just uh, I'm yeah. just that scarred by the end of the game that I can't remember anything um, or what the deal was. What are you guys, what are your thoughts? I was tempted just to like go for blood because it was Angus Gardner and he killed us last week, but no, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, look, I, I think he was fine. I, I, I honestly think both weeks, I don't think there's been an attempt to, to ref unevenly between the teams and that, that there's been a clear, you know, decision to be biased in, in all that sort of thing. I, I do think the breakdown is just poorly, poorly ref. If a Kiwi does something in the breakdown, they just let it go. And I, I honestly don't think it's only Gardner. These two games have both been 
very clear um, points of evidence for me in, in this, and we've talked about it previously. And to be honest, you don't have that unless you earn that. That's why the Wallabies don't have it. You know, when everyone talks about Richie McCall coming into the side, he got away with it, and your Kiwis are going to be listening and saying he never did that. But he got away with it because he earned that. He was so good for such a long period of time, he got the benefit of the doubt. And I think that benefit of the doubt has, has come through in those last couple of weeks. I don't think the refs, you know, have purposely been biased in any way. I think it's just simply a benefit of the doubt on, on a few calls that as simple as that. Yep, except Ben O'Keefe, he's a dog. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, <laughs> wrapping up the game, I think, look, in, uh, in the second half, obviously some key injuries, um, you know, Tupo and Harry Wilson, big ball carries going off. Tamua just really disrupted the back line. Uh, what, what could we do differently to stay in the game? And what I mean by that is, I guess you, you really want your bench to come on and lift the boys. And we've got a few good players on the bench. You know, we're bringing on some pretty class um, props and hookers. Um, the Liam Wright, came, tough, tough conditions for Liam Wright to come in um, on the field. But uh, how do we, one of the biggest concerns I had was just not staying in the game. Obviously we didn't have as on a night. The, uh, they obviously forgot to spray the glue on the hands uh, like they did the week before. Um, if, if we're going to, I'll try to sum it up relatively quickly for me. You know, like, I think most of our bench players are there for certain reasons, and those certain reasons aren't necessarily to to lift the aggression and, and that and up the tempo. There's no bomb squad feel about them. You know, you've yeah. got Taniela Tupo on the bench, and that changes. You know, you're adding players like that on the bench. We've got Reese Hodge on the bench to cover lots of positions and to kick the fuck out of the ball a long distance. But no one's fearing Reese Hodgin coming on other than accidentally giving away a penalty. We don't. So if we are 20 points down, none of those guys we're bringing on are going to catch that. You know, I, I would rather us see, you know, your consistent players. I still think Alan Alatoa should be starting. Those sorts of guys starting, and then we just purely bring on that aggression from the bench. I don't think... I'm, I'm up in the air about Hodge because Hodge clearly offers... The, the long distance kick. Um, but I mean, I'd love to see someone else do it. He can do something else in the field too. Look, the, the obvious impact player that we did have on the bench was Geordie Pattaya and he looked like he was the most damaging uh, player out mm. of all of them. And uh, I, I think the problem for him was that he was so up and down, you know, he would turn over ball, uh, but then he would break a tackle. He, I think he was very, he seemed like he was very focused on his own game as well. You know what I mean? Like mm. he, most of the time, in previous t- chances, he's looked to create space for someone else or, you know, broken a tackle with his arm free. Whereas this game, it felt like it was about him doing things. And, and that's, I mean, he's still a young player and it, it's probably a little bit harsh, but for me, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like he was a team player trying to build the team. Yeah, coming off the bench, and it probably a few things were thrown thrown up in the air, but that's what I thought. I think I think again we saw those signs of how he's probably the most exciting player in um, in Australian rugby. But um, I've got to uh, say the the one thing that disappointed me from our bench is you had <clears throat> Alex Hodgman on the bench for New Zealand, who as a fantasy football player this year was fantastic because of his work rate. But I don't think he's a renowned scrummager. We had Scott Co and Alan Alatoa, who you know, if it wasn't for the uh, the rise of Taniela Tupo, we all thought should be the Wallabies captain. Yeah. And then you've got the prince that was promised, who, I mean, that's his nickname. Need I say name? So need I say more? Ulysses. 
is an absolute giant of a man. How the hell did we not get dominance at set piece? And yeah. Rob Simmons, who his only role is to control the line out. Like, the, the, the tactics should have been obvious, shouldn't it? Jordan Pateo be X Factor. Hodgman kicked the hell out of the ball and then used your... Hodge, sorry. Hodgman. Hodge, <laughs> let, let them the say ball. Hodgman kick it. <laughs> and then win every single scrum and line out to finish the game. Like, and that's, that should have been the plan and it didn't happen at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we didn't seem to utilise what was there. I agree. We need the bomb squad of Tupo, Skelton, Karevi on the bench and uh, see how that goes. Yep. No. I'm fine. We'll, we'll touch on who we, we think need to come in and, on other occasions in one of the listener questions. But, you know, we, we should add some excitement to that bench and game breakers. Potatoes won, but we don't have anyone else there. Look, Excellent. wrapping up this game, um, I'm very happy coming back from New Zealand with a, with a draw. <clears throat> Would have rather to win, but I don't think it makes any difference for Bledisloe. I'm, I'm going to expect that there's not going to be a second draw, but who knows? <clears throat> um, two games in Australia. We've got the first one at ANZ, and Australian Rugby Australia has very wisely made this the Indigenous jersey because the Aussies seem to play incredibly well in the Indigenous jersey. And then we go to uh, we go to Suncorp which Stadium, which Nelson is sporting right now. So if you want to uh, check it out, check it out on YouTube. And then the second game that, you know, we've got to win both of them, but the second game is at Suncourt where we play our best rugby at Test Rugby as well. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm okay with it. We, uh, best case, we're always going to have to need to win both of these, I think. I, uh, yeah, there's no way we were going to be able to give away one of our games at home in a four-test series. If, yeah. if we're honest, this is never going to happen. Yeah. Even a three-test series, if it's one in New Zealand, two in Australia, we still have to win both in Australia. Um, realistically, I think Ian Foster was saying something I'm going to quote him, but don't quote me. It's his, his fault if it's wrong. That we, uh, we win 60% of games or something in Australia. It was 40, 60 or something like that. You know, it's, it's not, it, we've got a almost 50-50 chance at winning one of these games. So if we win this first game, and I think you know, we'll make a couple of changes, they will be forced. I do think we can win this first game and then bring it to a series you know, decider, which for me will just be extremely exciting. If, uh, if we can, I'll get to Queensland. My only worry is Andrew Stadium is an absolute like <clears throat> it's not a death for yeah, Australian not... rugby. No, nothing happens positively there. <laughs> there could be more Kiwis at the game than Aussies. It's just that far out at uh, Western Sydney. So yeah. yeah, there's enough. There's just as many Kiwis in Australia as there are in New Zealand. We can't change that. No, that's true. But look, if we win game three, I think the three of us look. We'll um, we'll do whatever you need to do. We'll uh, crash over the border to Queensland, get up there for that game. So um, steal a plane. I don't know. Do whatever we've got to do. Yeah, look, very, very quickly, just injuries. We mentioned Joe Moody, uh, Peter Ramanga Jensen, Joe Moody and Sam Wilek all going through their concussion protocols. So there is some doubt over those guys, but wait and see. Obviously, Ramanga Jensen, unlikely to play anyway, just on selection. Rico Yuane, we have no updates on his hemi injury. But then, uh, interestingly, Adi Sevilla and Napola Lala are both on paternity leave. And, you know, they've already said they may miss Led three, so uh, I think that's a pretty big change for them as well. Look, I think yeah, for sure, Adi Sevilla is is humongous for them. They don't have a lot of depth if we're being critical um, in their front row as well with Nepalalala leaving. So George Bow and Duplessis Peripi are the two that have been brought in as cover. None of neither of those strike fear in me, you know, as as a Wallabies fan. Peripi is a very physical player, but definitely neither of those you know, come close to the two that have left. I've been questioning Karifi's inclusion over... Um, Lachlan Boucher. Lachlan Boucher. God, where is he? 
makes no sense to me. And we'll that's, Can he play us? Surely he's got a great grandfather that's in the Aussie side. I mean, surely he's got family that lives over here. That's good enough for me. But look, I, I, I think we'll, we'll wrap that up. The only uh, injury, I think, concern for Australia is DHP. We haven't found out how he's going with well, his groin strain. No, no, we have. He was in full training on Tuesday before Bledisloe too. So yep. I thought he was a pretty good shot at, uh, at playing Bled too. Surprisingly, he didn't. But I think Dom, Tom Banks, despite being good under the high ball, I, I don't think he's been up to the task. I don't think he's offered enough. I think and, DHP will come back. Into the and, and Rennie's openly said that uh, DHP is the incumbent and he would be starting mm-hmm. if he could. And I, I'm, I take further confidence from um, the Wallabies putting out photos. They put out a photo of DHP in the, the New Jersey um, so I think we'll hopefully expect him. Uh, we've talked about the other injuries. So no, t- the big pickle for the Wallabies is just no Tamua, really. That's the, um, how do we solve that? And we've given our thoughts. But uh, let's jump into some listener questions from our faithful listeners. And there are none more faithful than Mitchie Evans, uh, who... Just, just before we go into yeah. this, mm. I thought that we are the biggest fanatics in the world, but Mitch Evans has got us covered easy. I, I've listened to... <laughs> I, I've listened to... Every podcast I can imagine for rugby related, I think Mitch has been on one plus his own, so been on two, and been had. This is now his third shout out within the last week. I'm pretty sure on a podcast. I, I swear he takes Mondays off so we can cover all the the rugby content right at the start of the week. But shout out to his new podcast as well, Rugby Fixation, which is a good listen as well. I heard the first episode during the week. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, another brother brotherly duo on i suppose we're a brotherly duo craig you don't offer that much but uh it'll be it'll be interesting to see how these guys uh go with they, a bit more experience they, they probably don't need a mediator in on their podcast uh, they can just, you know be civil themselves but um, they're in the opposite side of the world yeah. no very good um all right well speaking of uh of mitch his question given the bledisloe still up for grabs the wallabies need to go all in uh to try and get a win on the board uh, all right, that's part of the question. Yes, we agree with that. But um, no, the question against the Pumas, who would you like to see given some game time? So I like this thinking ahead. Um, we'll go to Harry first, mate, on the spot. Who would you like to see get some game time? Well, I, I like the question because obviously they're playing a Waratahs Invitational side this week, and and rumours of an Australian A side. Next plus, week. it's it's Waratahs plus Simone and Nazarani. Am I am I correct okay. in that? This, yeah. is, this is what I was getting at. Nasserani and Simone are the two obvious ones that we want to see get some game time, right? So they're, they're big. Um, and I think just that 10-12 access is probably probably important for us as well. I'd almost rather than play the Brumbies 10-12 together against the uh, the Pumas just so we can see how they both go, give them an opportunity to get together. And they obviously have that combination, which is going to be helpful as well. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, touching on what we said before, that a little bit of that bomb squad, I think we can bring a little bit more excitement and physicality to that bench. I, I love Jake Gordon. I really want to see Tate McDermott get a crack. Um, I think against the Pumas, that's the game you're probably going to see it. I mean, there's a chance we see it against um, the All Blacks in the next two weeks just because he can offer a, a lot. But without that kick, you know, I think maybe it's something he's been working on. Uh, the, there's been talk that Nasserani has been, you know, carrying a little bit of an injury. And that was the... No, fish. it was weight. He needs to lose weight. And that, I mean, I heard injury. That was the fitness issue that he had to address. So it wasn't on performance. The injury was his fat. <laughs> is around oh, sorry. Um. So look, I, I'd love to see Tate. I'd love to say Nasserani. I mean, even bring someone like Hosea, Hosea or someone uh, onto that bench instead of Simone. Uh, instead of Simone. Instead of Simmons. Someone who can actually offer something other than a line out on the bench. 
Can I give two more, Craig's, unless you want to go? No, please. Okay, well, first, obviously, Pony Fata Masuili. I want, <laughs> I want him on the bench. For who? I don't care, mate. Just put him on the bench. Loose head, mate. Get him in loose head. head. I don't care. Scotty, sit down. And the other one was Trevor Hosea. I said that. Did you? Yeah. Damn it. So if, if Harry's not listening, I'll throw one more in. Angus Bell. Put Angus Bell on the <laughs> bench for the Wallabies. I, we, don't, we don't need Slipper and CEO. Fraser McRae, you know? He will come in, I reckon. We don't need Slipper and CEO. Get us some punch from the bench. We, that man is Angus Bell, and he's time now. Are we saying that Slipper and Sarah are old news now? Don't get me wrong. Slipper's been playing some fantastic footy. We'll have Bell and Pony for the, the, number, the loose heads, and we'll have Tupo and Allen for the tight heads. Surely we'll have four of the best props in the world with that. Tony's a tight head, mate. Tony's a tight head. Yeah, no, no. He's made. He can play both. No, we'll, we'll put Allen and Bell. <laughs> we'll, I, I thought we were going to put Pony at number eight, to be honest. <laughs> No, but I agree. Look, for mine, uh, you've mentioned all the players we want to see. I think Jose is a big one. Um, I just, I mean, I don't know how many times I can say Simmons see a champ. Um, but uh, I'd like to see, I really would like to see Tate get a run and, and Nazarani. I just think, I mean, for me, if we could get Nazarani and Harry Wilson at six and eight, just, oh dear, that is what I'm talking about right there. I was going to say, Liam Wright at six would be a good shout as well, give him the opportunity. He, he, um, I think he got a little bit physically... You know, out, out strength on a couple occasions on, on the weekend. Um, but I, I do think, you know, he, he's got to be the guy getting that, that next crack um, for the Wallabies. I, I really want to see Fraser McWright. I think it would be a little harsh to see him jumping over. Um, I said McWright, then I jumping over Liam Wright. But the, these guys, I think, need to have a, a bit of a crack. And against a relatively uh, incohesive. Uh, Pumas side. I think that's the time to do it. Look, let's let's kick on to the second question. <laughs> Very good. These great. Well, great I think we should also say how um how's how's your campaign going to uh, make sure that they'll stream the Waratahs versus the Pumas because uh, they've putting it behind closed doors. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. We can't go down and watch it, but come on, mate. I mean, it's, it's not happening because unlike the the Springboks, the Pumas have gone. Now nah, we'll tough it out and play. We just don't want everyone to see how much we suck before the comp starts. We want yeah. to have a little bit of a run together before everyone sees how great. Yeah. And apparently how about apparently how the about, whole Pumas side are the size of Franz Malherbeck at the moment? <laughs> um, he's a third moon. Um, no, but um, how, how about Michael Checker? Um, Wallaby's coach back with his uh, his good mate Mario Ledesma. I mean, look, I love Czechs um, to death, but um, yeah. it's interesting him um, him over there with the Pumas at the moment. I, I think he fits what they need at the moment because what he brings is you know a lift in your side on a short term deal he every team he has walked into has outperformed where you think they should be at and mm. i just don't think he has the creativity in a, over a long period of time so you bring him into the pumas right now they really need a lift they haven't had a lot of game time together they will come out firing they will be aggressive and, yeah. and i think that'll be interesting to see I can't say I've been trawling through loads of articles like you guys, but um, have we seen a Pumas squad? Have we seen who's actually over here? Yeah, they have. Yeah. It's Ryan Imhoff and is, is the big in for Is Facundo Issa here? That's all I want to know. No. I don't, I don't think, think so. he is. Well, that's disappointing. But, uh, so, uh, they, they, I think they've even maybe named a lineup for the weekend. I'm not yeah. sure. Or, or they said a, a, a rough idea of what it would be. Maybe, I think it was a speculate, speculative team or something along those lines. And there was actually, you know, some strong parts of the team, even with players over in Europe that aren't here at the moment and, and still a few gaps. Excellent. All right. With that, let's get on to our second listener question 
from rugbyforall.jp. How confident are you that Rennie can get the breakdown consistently competitive and the backline defensive unit working by Saturday? Next Saturday. Uh, Next Saturday, yep. Without those two things, it could be Bledisloe. Bye-bye again. Cheers. Uh, Look, I go, I divert all these defensive questions to Ben Darwin's cohesive question. Uh, his theory and, and that is that uh, the more cohesive a team is, the better defence is. And in, to answer the question, not very confident that they can plug their holes defensively through the back line. I think that's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, so realistically, I think they're going to have to either out-muscle the All Blacks in the four-pack, which is a tough ask, or they're going to have to score a lot of points. Um, and to answer the question about the ruck, that is an error I think they can definitely clean up by Saturday. I think they definitely have the the personnel, depending on selection, Pete Samu, Liam Wright, Harry Wilson, Hooper on his day. There's there's, uh, McWright, but he's not going to be in there for Bled 3. There's definitely enough options out there that we could could muscle up in that area. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the improvement we saw in the breakdown in terms of, you know, more consistent winning our own ball and, and competing a little bit harder at the breakdown was definitely noted this week. And that is noted with Ned Hannigan. So if you're bringing in someone who, you know, is really going to compete a little bit more at that breakdown, if we're bringing in someone like Nasarani or bringing Samu back in, and that's a bit more of his focus, I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if we can compete a little bit more at it. I don't think we're going to have a clear dominance and I don't think everything's going to go our way in the breakdown until, honestly, the Kiwis are going to start to get penalised for some of their consistent, you know, side entries off the ball sort of stuff around the, around the breakdown, I think are pretty ridiculous. Um, until that stuff gets pinged, I think we're on the back foot a little bit. But I do think that can be cleaned up. As Harry said, I don't think we're going to see huge changes in that, that backline defence. I think what we need to do is not give them that opportunity, mm. not kick the ball in open space to Caleb Clark. You know, we need to do contestable kicks, kick the ball out. There are your two options. Don't give them space. And then we won't need to worry about it as much. That's all we can do. Very good. My final thoughts. I agree completely. Backline, um, we'll have to see how we go. We'll do our best. The you rug. Backline wines? I did not, but... Um, no, they're not a sponsor. I haven't, they haven't sponsored haven't yet. Them. Harry, you haven't received a case <laughs> from them yet, have you? And, um, I tried. That's all right. Well, look, they'll... They're, surely they're working on that, just facing some teething problems as a new business. Um, but uh, no, look, I, I agree. I think we can certainly sort out the ruck. Um, and I just want to point out two, two things, I guess. One is that pre the first test matches this year, we were talking about how good is Harry Wilson, obviously, but do we not rush him in? And I think now, it's only been two games, but for mine, the conversation is Harry Wilson's one of the first big players in the team at starting at eight every week, um, which I just think is pretty huge achievement. Um, but the you second... Could, you could pick him at six or eight, to be fair. Sorry, six or eight. Yeah, that's very well. You're kind of leading me to my last final thoughts. Nelson touched on again, Ted, Ted Flanagan being very good, game of his life. For Bledisloe three, Ooh. who are you picking to start at number six? Assuming, okay. assuming Harry Wilson is available to start at eight, who are you, who are you starting at six? Uh, look, I, I'm, I, I don't think they had much wrong in terms of what the squad is in game one. For me, I think Harry Wilson is my my eight now that he's proved that he can he can fill that role where he's at, and I do think Pete Samu. Let's chuck him in at that blindside flanker, and he can focus a little bit else on on a few other jobs. Uh, I think Wilson's filling that role really well. I don't know as much if I think a, a Wilson Nasarani back row combo will be as 
you know, wholesome in terms of everything around the field. Um, but I do think Samu fills that role really, really well. Uh, I wouldn't be overly surprised if we see Liam Wright get a few more minutes where he's on the start of coming in earlier to fill that role as well. I, uh, I disagree. I think it will be Wilson and Nasarani. No, I said I don't know if I would like it. Come on, boys. In terms of the wholesomeness. So, but, but Pete Samu, I don't think he had his best game in Blood 1 and we dominated the physicality. Of the, no, but we dominated the physicality of the game because of how we played. Harry Wilson's obviously getting selected at one of those two positions. Mm. Nasarani, if he plays well in this scrimmage against the Pumas, mm. and if he's lost the weight, he was the obvious walk-up start at number eight anyway. He gives us punch. He gives us physicality. He gives us work rate. And then you have someone that's got a little bit more flair in the back end of the game. I think they're the two obvious ones to play the first 50 minutes with. Harry Wilson will play for 110 minutes if he wanted to. So then you just sub in, like you said, maybe a Pete Samu off the bench for me. For me? Or a Liam Wright. Sorry, Wilson, you've already had you for me, mate. So it wanted to me, mate. Um, no, I think I agree. Uh, one thing that would be interesting is we talk about having a bit of a bomb squad would be nice. Nazarani on the bench even, being able to bring him. That's what I was going to say. Um, but I think uh, I think no matter what you want Liam Wright in there because he's he's really a cover for your Hooper if Hooper was to ever get injured, which has never happened in the history of time. But um, I would almost have I would say, injured. He just doesn't come up. I would have Nazarani on my bench. I would have now I would have Hooper, Wilson, and Wright starting, or I would throw out a curveball, and I don't think I could start him above of a Nazarani, but. Lockie Swinton starting at six, throwing in an absolutely unproven uh, character just because I think if you chuck him out in a, in a Wallabies debut, he's going to go out there and murder someone. Uh, and, would. and he's super tall as well for the line out. So that's what I want to see. You know what I mean? Like, all right, they came back a little bit with physicality. Fine. We'll put Nazarani on the bench and we'll start Lockie Sw- Swinton to get in there. I'm, I'm between both of you. I think Nazarani for me, that, that uh, guy off the bench could be immense and he's working his way back into that side. Pete Samu covers a few more roles. Uh, I think he's been brilliant as well this season and a bit better of a defender. Um, you know, probably a smarter guy around the breakdown can get you a few more pilfers. I think he's the guy for me at the moment. Not if you asked me a couple of weeks ago, that would be starting with um, and then bringing Nasarani on off the bench to try and hurt people too. Or Swinton. Excellent. Well, on that bombshell, this has been another episode of the Draft Rugby podcast. Thank you for your listeners' questions. I think, again, we only put out the call a couple of hours pre-pod. I'm not sure. But, um, no, we love your support. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Oh, yep, no. And really appreciate um, getting after us, on, uh, particularly on YouTube um, and uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So catch you on the next one. Yeah. See you later.